sometimes when you look in scripture, you see stories that seem like stories. They're a long time ago. There's no real effect. Today, we look at kind of a a bone chilling story of martyrdom as what seems like a pack of wolves surround a believer. And as he makes his testimony to Christ, a very powerful testimony to Christ and a very powerful testimony of forgiveness. This is the story of Stephen. And this sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, September 7th, 2014. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We are in the book of Acts, and we're continuing our series in the book of Acts through this month. And then we're starting a new series on marriage starting in October. So I'm excited about that. I'm also excited to finish out the book of Acts. This section is a little bit difficult in that there's a whole lot of Bible that we're going to go through. It's like, how do you kind of cut this section up? So we've got this giant section. So at one point, we're going to be reading a very large section of Scripture, which is good. Um, so I'm just letting you know what's going to be happening today. So I need you to do me a favor, though. Um, just close your eyes, and you just have to envision. So I'm going to walk you through this scenario. And if you don't follow instructions, um, you're going to just have to look at that and pretend that you're seeing this in your mind. So you're, you're driving along in like kind of this country road, and you're cruising along in your car, and um, the car starts to lose uh, some power or something. Check engine light comes on. You don't know what's going on. You're not super mechanical. And then um, you pull over, and the car's not working anymore, and you're like, okay, I'm a couple miles from a town. Maybe I'll, people will come, you know? So, so you, you say, okay, I'll wait this out. And it's cold. You wait there what seems like a long time. No one drives by, and then suddenly you're like, you know what, I'm getting sick of this, and I'm going to just put my jacket on, and I'm going to walk to town and and figure out the problem. I'm not going to sit here all night. So you put your jacket on, and you walk, and you're just far enough, like you can't see your car anymore. You can't quite see the town. It's really dark. And then you hear this sound. Okay, you can open your eyes. Like You laugh because you're not there, but what happens if like you were really there and there's like real wolves. Like what would you do if there was like actual creatures that want to kill you? I listened to a BBC podcast that talked about this and they said wolves. This lady was a shepherdess in the, the French Alps and she said wolves are just amazing creatures because they stalk, they watch, they, they see what the flock does. They do all these things and then they make their attack. And she says, you know what happens when a wolf gets in like a sheep pen where it's supposed to be safe? Her quote is, they go berserk, and they will not stop until every sheep or you in that pen is dead. It has nothing to do about the food. They just kill. And so it's interesting, I think, that when we look in Scripture and they talk about, uh, like these kind of pictures, what do they call Jesus? Our good shepherd, you know, and we're, we're kind of these helpless sheep. And I know some of you are thinking, like, I'm, no, I'm tough, you know, I'm not a sheep. But if you just went through that same scenario, you know, we went through, and your car is parked, and this, this pack of wild sheep came up to you, you'd, like, pet them, right? Like, this would not be a scary situation. Instead, Jesus is saying, like, we're these sheep, and he is our good shepherd. And we see that in the Psalm 23, like David talks about, the Lord is my shepherd, and he's looking after us. And Jesus comes here. How do you know who the real shepherd is, according to Jesus? says the real shepherd's like willing to die for the sheep, which just seems crazy, right? But you read stories about this. You read people when like the wolves come in Alaska and the guy jumps out to fight them off for his dog. Have you read stories? I told you the story about the dog who was in the ocean and the guy jumped into the ocean and punched a shark in the nose. You know, I, like I said, I'm more of a dog liker after I hear stories like that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, ah, you're a great dog. 
you know, I love you. That's maybe why I don't have a dog. So there's this passion, and and they're saying the real shepherd's willing to die for their sheep, which is a pretty big deal. The hired hand, Jesus says, will just run away. So Jesus comes to this earth, and how does he prove he's a real shepherd? This is just kind of a review of Bible world. Jesus says, I'm willing to lay my life down for you. I'm willing to go to the cross for you. So he ascends into heaven, but before he goes, he commissions some more shepherds. And he says, I want you to be the apostles to look after this flock, the church. And it's supposed to be safe inside the church. It's supposed to be like a safe pen. And, and you're supposed to have shepherds. That's where the word pastor comes from. It's supposed to be people looking after you to take care of you. And this church starts to expand. The whole time there's these threats. And the Bible even uses that, like sheep among the wolves. And that's the picture. How many of you have seen the movie? I'm not recommending you see it. The Gray with Liam Neeson. And it's got an awful view of God. And it, some of you are saying, like, who's Liam Neeson? There he is. So to me, this is like the least intimidating intimidating guy in all of Hollywood. Because don't you feel like if you ran like 25 yards, he would get winded? That's how I feel. Like if I saw him in a closed room, I'd be like, okay, I run 25 yards away. He'd be like, hold on, hold on. So I said that to my wife. I'm thinking this. We see a preview and Amy goes, he comes on for some movie, I don't know what. And she goes like, oh, that guy creeps me out. So is any, who is creeped out by Liam Neeson here? And her, this was her follow-up response. I'm like, really? And, and if you didn't hear his voice. So I said, the voice is creepy. I give you that. She goes, well, yeah, usually he has a gun. Now, let me just, let me just rephrase this sentence. Um, the nicest person that you know, like what, think of your nicest kid, is a little creepy if they have a loaded gun. So, I mean, I don't think that's real fair just because he often has a weapon that that makes him scary because I think even like Laurel, the oldest member in our church, if she had a loaded weapon, I would be uncomfortable hanging out at a room giving her a devotion. I'd be like, can we just set the weapon down? I mean, same thing. But anyway, Liam Neeson, of course, can fight off the wolves, but these wolves attack and they kill them all. Here's a picture of a gray wolf. So now we're in the church, though. In the church we just saw last week, it's kind of past these days where everything is idyllic and they're feeding, everyone's getting food and everyone's being healed and everything is fantastic. Some people are really uncomfortable with that picture. Um, I will do a way less intimidating picture now. Okay, so, so the, the, the church like shared their food and they shared their money and they did all these things and everything we said last week is perfect, perfect, perfect. You know, everything's great. But then they had, as we talked about last week, they made a mistake. Things are not going well. They're not feeding the widows like they're supposed to be. So we see a little bit of friction. Now the church is moving even past that to this time of ostracism. I can't even say it. The, this time of outside um, persecution coming to the church. So the church got big enough, 5,000 plus people, that they said, we have to no longer be generalists. We need to be like a team of specialists. So they start dividing out some of this work. And remember, some of that work goes to a new leader. And that leader's name is Stephen. This is his story. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace, we don't know how long he's been doing this position. Um, he's not one of the apostles. The apostles said, we need to dedicate ourselves to word and prayer. And then they in, in pick some other guys to try and look after the widows and take care of these things. So this is Stephen's job. We don't know how long he's been doing this. I mean, I'm guessing not long since it's like the next chapter. So he's a man full of God's grace and power. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose. However, among the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it's called, Jews of Cyrene in Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia 
in Asia and began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So these guys are like, what you're saying, Stephen, makes me uncomfortable. We don't like this, so we're not going to argue. And maybe you've been in an argument with someone. And have you been in the midst of an argument where your argument is way better? And what happens usually when the person gets to that situation? You're arguing about something. Then they either bring up something from the past. That's option one. But what happens if they don't know you very well? Then they just call you names. Like, you're a moron. So that's called an ad hominem argument, which means they're just like, that has nothing to do with the argument. You're attacking the person, not, not the actual thing that we're arguing about. So they can't do that. They're not doing very well. So they go, okay, this is not working. We need to do something differently here. These are the men in the church, by the way. So then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now, who else did this work for? They've got like a game plan. They're like, Okay, we're trying to get Jesus. Let's try and get this guy. It's not working. How about somebody says lies about him? Deal. And now this worked. Now just imagine you can meet some of the same people. They're like, hey, remember last time? This worked. So they get these guys to secretly say that Stephen is saying these blasphemous words. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow, and this is getting to be a big deal now, so this is no longer like a, um, uh, like a water cooler kind of argument. This is not longer like you and your employee getting frustrated with each other, you and your cousin or something like this at a family reunion. Like this is now charges going before the Sanhedrin that has like say and rule for the Jewish people. So he gets put in front of it. The, they produce false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting at the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And so the high priest, in the midst of this, you can imagine Stephen's in the middle, and they're bringing these accusations against him. These are false accusations. Just to put yourself in that situation, for a second. Now you're in front of people who kind of run the church. I'm just thinking like as a pastor, what happens if you get put in front of like the district president and the presidium for our district and people are bringing false charges against you and I'm just thinking like how my blood would start to boil and you want to defend yourself and you want to say something. And they say to Stephen, as all these people are around, is this true essentially? And Stephen says, and I don't know if this is his first sermon. I know it's his last sermon. So out of respect to Stephen, the last sermon he ever got to preach in his life, I'd ask you to stand. Stephen says this. To this he replied, brothers and fathers, he's still very respectful. Listen to me. The glory of God, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. He starts with Abraham, way back when, the father of the Jews. While he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to the land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance there, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he was and his descendants after him would be possessed this land, even though at the time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they came out of that country and worshipped me in this place. 
Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Now he's way into Genesis. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh put him ruler over Egypt and all these places. Now he moves to Exodus. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan and bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers in their first place. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had brought from the sons of Hamer and Shechem for a sum of money. As the time drew near for God to promise to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born. And he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action, just as Stephen was by the Holy Spirit. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are my brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, the angel appeared to Moses in flames of a burning bush in a desert near Mount Sinai. When they saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As they went over to get closer, look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare look. Just pause here for a second. Is there anything he is preaching that they don't know? Can you preach to my daughter and say, I want to tell you about creation, and she's going to be like, what? Is there anything that he is preaching to this group of elders right now that they have not heard? He continues. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, and listen closely, God will raise up for you a prophet like me. That's a prophecy of the, the righteous one and the Messiah to come from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. He received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused 
Our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. This agrees what is written in the book of the prophets. And now he prophesies. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Rephim, and idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had a tabernacle of the covenant of law with them in the wilderness. I had been made as God directed Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it to them, and they took it to the land of the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor, and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him, however. And the Most High does not live in the house made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? And where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You may be seated. Long section. He gets one last sermon, and he gets to preach, strangely, his own funeral sermon, not something that I would look forward to. He gets to preach to the people when he knows, like, the wolves are starting to circle. And what do you do when the wolves start to circle? They're looking to attack. They're looking to hurt him. And here's Stephen before the people. And why does he go through the trouble to go through history that they already know? Like, why would you do that? I think he does it for a couple reasons. Number one is to say, I do not blaspheme Moses and I appreciate the laws he brought. Two, I do not blaspheme this temple and I see how this temple got here and there's a reason this temple is here. But three, the biggest reason is, let me ask you this, how well do you know your neighbor? Okay, you can know your neighbor. You can know your neighbor and not know your neighbor, okay? And, and what I mean by that is, um, and I've got a neighbor here, so I feel bad even using this for an illustration. You can know your neighbor, but what happens if you find out someone is like a child abductor? And these are two separate thoughts in your head, right? And you, you love your neighbor, and your neighbor's great, and they're fantastic, and then you think about how scary this idea of a child abductor is, then then what happens when suddenly you put those two things together? What's the point of a mystery novel? Like you read this, you know, that, you know all the characters and they develop and you're, you think this is fascinating. And on the same side, you know, because the murder always happens early, right? The crime happens early. It doesn't happen till the end. And you're like, oh, there's the crime. Instead, the reveal comes when these two things come together. You can know a lot of things. And this is what Stephen is trying to say. Uh, two off this. This is the old sermon. That's what's going on. Okay, we'll just leave it there, and I will talk through the rest. You can know the Bible and not know Jesus. And Stephen's trying to sit to these guys and say, guys, will you just listen for a second? Because you know the Bible does not mean you know the Bible, because you can know the Bible and not know Jesus. But I'll tell you what, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Bible. And just like you think you know your neighbor until you find these two things and it comes together and suddenly your, eye, your head and your eye opens up, what does Jesus say as he's going along early in his career, he says, you guys study the scriptures 
trying to figure out what? Eternal life. But you know what? These scriptures talk about me. And then in, and then in the, uh, the road to Emmaus, Jesus has this Bible study that he does, which would be so fascinating to be at. In Luke, what, 24? He rises from the dead and he appears to these guys who are walking who know Jesus, right? They know who he is. They also know there's a Messiah to come. They know the Bible. They know every single story that Stephen just shared. But what is the point that Jesus says? It says they opened up their minds as he points that all the things in the Old Testament point to him. Everything in the Bible is about Jesus. And now Stephen is before these men. Stephen's before these men trying to explain, guys, will you just listen for a second? Will you just listen as I go through the Bible to tell you you know Jesus, you know who he is, but you don't know what the Bible's all about because I'm going to bring these things together. Now imagine how hard it would be. This is his words. He stands up before them and says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You still are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. You know what, guys? And I'm going to raise that one level more because you're related to the guys who killed the guys who talked about the Messiah to come. Hold on. You've got to listen to this because and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given you and the angels and have not obeyed it. How would you feel being in that crowd when you have this guy standing up? circling and you're just you're telling lies about him you're doing whatever you can to try and discredit the ministry because you're going to discredit the minister and you're trying to bring him down and say let's take care of business and this guy stands before you and says listen you stiff-necked people you're like a dog that can't be walked you're like a donkey that does not want to be led because you're so pig-headed and you do all the things on the right side. You follow the Sabbath. You're circumcised on the eighth day. Your dads did every single thing they should do. You do every single religious right. You walk around with all your stuff, but you know what? You're missing the part that God wants, and that's your heart. And you either can get harder and harder and harder, or you can wake up and say, we have made a mistake. When they heard this, it says, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They can't take it. They cover their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rush him. They drag him out of the city and they, they throw him down to his knees and they start taking these rocks and they start chucking it at him until he dies. And they're, they're killing him. And these are his words. While they're stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In the world, like we just went from people sharing their food and sharing their stuff and everything's great and now there's people dying. What's this have to do with us? The wolves have encircled, and what are you going to do? Are you going to run away? You know, this, this is awesome. I, we read, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is fantastic. And in the end, you are with Jesus, right? I mean, that's cool. But in the middle, no one tells you that things don't always go so fantastic. 
And I think some of you, as you think about the suffering that you've had to go through, you know Jesus in a way that some of us can never know because you know this is how I've suffered and I have to lean on the promises of God. Some of you have suffered in ways, and this is all fine, until suddenly you see that this middle is kind of dropping out in this sinful world and you want to get pregnant and you can't or you do get pregnant and there's a miscarriage or the cancer doesn't go away and your friend that is so young and vibrant and fantastic is not alive anymore. It's like, what do you do when the wolves start to circle? You grieve, I think. It says, we'll come back to Saul, but that's a different day. Saul approved of their killing. That great day, a great persecution broke out among the church of Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, just as Jesus promised. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. For Saul began to destroy the church. Systematically, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. We'll get back to Saul in a couple weeks. You grieve. And, and the people who talk about this, when, when men don't grieve about the suffering, they do, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says like a sad face is good for the heart. And if you're, you're going through suffering, and your suffering is different than my suffering, you can't go to people and say like, I don't, un-, you, empathy is saying, I understand your suffering. You've got certain sufferings that you strike. You know what happens when ladies do not grieve and suffer? The people who study this say they suffer depression. You know what happens to guys when they don't grieve and lament when there's pain and loss in their life? They become angry. Now just step back for a second and think, has this affected me when I think about the suffering and the outside forces and the sense of loss and the pain that happens in my own life? Every one of us would like to buy a book that says, hey, Let's go around the valley of the shadow of death, like five steps, right? The Bible says a little bit differently and says we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but what is the difference? When we grieve, it says in Scripture, we don't grieve as someone without hope because the Lord walks beside us. We cannot avoid the pain and the hurt and the suffering and the disappointment, whatever that is in your life. We can't avoid that. But like Stephen, we can grieve, we can forgive, which changes our life. It's a long section of scripture. It's a little bit shorter today because we've got a presentation. But I hope that the takeaway for you is saying when I suffer and there's things coming and affecting me, I know that I got something bigger. I know that someday heaven will open up for me. And I know that Jesus is going to embrace you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But that doesn't mean this middle walk is going to be very easy. But we say, Lord, Lord, let me grieve and let me forgive. Amen.